Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I retired at the age of 41 to advocate for women and girls in life, love, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our gold and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Today I am joined by Naomi McDougall-Jones. Naomi is an award-winning actress, writer, producer, and woman in film based in New York City. She is currently in post-production on her second feature film, Bite Me. Naomi's first feature film, which she also wrote, produced, and starred in, was the 12-time award-winning Imagine I'm Beautiful. The film received a theatrical release and is now available on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. A pilot she wrote, The Dark Pieces, is now in development for television in Canada after having been named on the 2016 Write Her list as one of the top 16 unproduced pilots by a female screenwriter. Naomi is an advocate and thought leader for bringing gender parity to cinema. She gave a virally sensational TED Talk, What It's Like to Be a Woman in Hollywood, which has now been viewed over one million times and can be seen on TED.com. She is the founder and chief impact officer of the 51 Fund, a venture capital fund dedicated to financing films by female filmmakers. Naomi is currently writing a book, The Wrong Kind of Woman, Dismantling the Gods of Hollywood, which will be published by Beacon Press in January 2020. I cannot wait to talk about the world in which she lives and creates because it is truly eye-opening and offers us such insight into the influence of film and its bias in our lives. Let's dig in. I am so excited today to have with me Naomi McDougall-Jones. She is an award-winning writer, actress, producer, and we got a chance to spend some time together over a year ago now in Sun Valley. Um, thank you for joining beautiful me. Beautiful Sun Valley. Oh, it was so beautiful, wasn't it? Do you know one of my favorite yeah. memories of Thanks. you is, aside from all the amazing oh, things yeah. you said, was so Naomi and I were staying. We were actually being hosted by an inventor and philanthropist, a very wealthy gentleman, who invited us all to come and speak at Conversations for Exceptional Women or Conversations um, by Exceptional Women at uh, the Alturas Institute. And we stayed in this beautiful house. And do you remember when we were picking our rooms? Yes, I think you very generously gave me the room. The room was, she walked in and it was like Alice in Wonderland <laughs> falling down the rabbit hole. And I remember you just being yeah. like, oh my God. And so I was like, you have to have this room. <laughs> you have to have this experience. It's very nice. It is to this day the nicest room I have ever stayed in in my whole life. Yeah. No, no, it was such a great experience. So thank you for that. Oh, oh my God, please. I'm just thrilled that I got to be there with so many amazing women. We were surrounded by these like killer women who were all kind of, we were almost like curated to come together in Sun Valley and speak to the community about things that were important to us and about um, finding our voices and and how to be strong women in society. And there was a bunch of students there, which was really amazing. What was your, out of curiosity, what was your favorite part of that, that experience or what did you take away from that experience um I mean as you say the whole thing was just incredible I um we were speaking 
when we did the panel, we were speaking in the local library and I was sort of tooling through the racks at a break and a dad came up with his teenage daughter to me and said, um, sort of told me how much his daughter wanted to get involved in the film industry, but that, um, that hearing me talk had been both very inspirational and very eye-opening to her Mm. about what that would be like. And um, it wasn't that she was discouraged at all, but that I could see that she uh, was going to walk into it in a different way, knowing what um, she had heard me say. So that was, you know, those are always the the moments that mean anything. (laughs) Like when you actually feel like you've, you've touched a person's life in some way. Yeah, no, and I think one of the things I loved about that entire experience, especially because the girls are there, and from other experiences I've had where you have um, younger women and girls in the audience, one of the comments that came out specifically of that one was um, the comment that we are, they're like, you're all so confident. You know, they were being surrounded mm. by really confident women, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing, you know, for them to see um, uh, women who are, like, in their passion and in their careers talking yeah. about it. Well, and that's so interesting, isn't it? Because, like, there's this whole idea that women lack confidence, which is a very slippery argument because it very quickly turns everything that's happening into women's problems. Like, if we could just, like, be more confident, then everything would happen for us, which is, it's really important to say that that's not true. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> that, that, you know, that the society systematically prevents women from getting places and then and undermines their confidence through media, through um, through consistently having their ideas ignored in all these ways. And then and then also yells at them for not having enough confidence. But what's interesting about that is that I have found. As I became a woman who. For lack of a better expression, stepped into my power and and really did begin taking up space in the world. The ways in which that made other women, some other women around me, intensely uncomfortable, mm. um, and particularly as it was happening, um, as I was sort of tradition transitioning into a, a place of of taking up space in the world, that other women would sometimes come up to me and be like, "Well." Like, are you sure you should be saying those things? Or like, don't, aren't you worried that people will think you're being an egotist? Or like, uh, like it was sort of like this thing of like, get back in your lane quick before somebody notices and comes and yells us. So I do think it's really important that, that women who are able to take up that space and do feel that confidence um, get seen because it's a model that we're still so unfamiliar with and, and like can, evoke anxiety attacks um sometimes in other women which is really distressing no it's that's absolutely true I mean I I come from the the world of finance right my background is in finance and it's a very competitive environment and my argument has always been you know we have been programmed to compete with each other for space for success for men for um our voices and so we always act or feel like there's not enough and if if the guys at the table start to recognize that we're taking over like the you know it's we're done for so we're almost kind of like very cautiously moving into these spaces um and I remember so you did a you did a TED talk and we're gonna we're gonna go back and talk about some of the there's one thing that you said in your TED talk that I want to get to and you said specifically that um, some Oscar-winning um, actresses had even said, you know, be careful about playing 
the woman card as you were starting to kind of step forward and use your voice. Can you talk about the journey to that point when someone would say that to you? Because I know that you've had so much success and been recognized for everything you've done as an actress, as a writer, as a producer, but you're still experiencing these moments, even with all of these awards that your your films have won. Um, I know one's going on in, with, in development right now. Uh, a pilot piece is, is in development for television in Canada. You've got all these great things on your resume, but you still have women saying to you, hey, be careful. Yeah, it's really astonishing, isn't it? So, um, so I guess to give you the, the quick sort of trajectory for your Listeners, I um, always wanted to be an actress my whole life. That was my dearest dream. Um, and so I went to acting school for college and um, got out and was pounding the pavement and determined to become the next Meryl Streep. And then uh, quickly began realizing that the parts that were actually available for women that I was auditioning for were terrible mm-hmm. um, and frequently were either like the naked corpse or the naked stripper or the super nice supportive girlfriend who would nod the entire scene and have very little to say or do. Um, And so after several years of this, I got really frustrated and I thought, okay, well, I guess the problem must be that people just aren't writing good roles for women. Right. So I, I could write good roles for women. Um, So with another actress friend of mine who was equally frustrated, we, we, over lunch one day, we're just like, well, we'll just make a feature film and, and I'll write it and we'll write, make it about two interesting female characters and um, but we'll just make a movie. Uh, <laughs> and so we spent a year having coffee with anybody who would have coffee with us to tell us how to make a movie. Um, but we put it together. <laughs> I love the I dedication. Did write a screenplay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I, think, I think our naivete really worked on our side. Oh, sure. we, we just had no idea how hard it would be. So we were just like, yeah, yeah, of course we can do this. Um, and so, and I wrote a film about two women characters and uh, we sort of accidentally, not thinking we were committing any kind of radical feminist act, put together a, an all-female creative team. Um, and very quickly started hearing uh yeah, girls, but you know you're going to need to get a male producer on board at some point just so that people will trust you with their money. Wow. Um, and, oh, yeah, but there's, but you, you know there's no uh, audience for films about women. Uh, could you put more blood in? Is there a lesbian angle you could explore? Oh, wow. Da, 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 da. And I was stunned. I was totally knocked sideways because uh, I was – incredibly naive apparently and as a white woman I had the privilege of being that naive um because I really I was raised by a raging feminist to believe that we had really cracked this and that I would never in my life face any kind of discrimination because I was a woman um and to be having these conversations in what was that 2012 just seemed I mean I felt like I had discovered I was on an alien planet all of a sudden Mm -hmm. um and 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 that time like some people were talking about this but there definitely was not a general culture of talking about this so it also felt like discovering you're on an alien planet and nobody else realizes that this is happening right um so i just started talking about this to basically anybody who would listen um because it seemed so insane and and i should say that we did go on and make the movie without a male producer uh we scraped together eighty thousand dollars and we made this feature film and it ended up winning a bunch of awards and it got theatrical distribution and, um, and I got the filmmaking bug bad and I, I went on to make a second feature, which we just finished. Um, 
But alongside of that, I became a very passionate women in film speaker and activist, um, which eventually did lead me to me doing this TED Talk um, and also has led me to be an accidental venture capitalist because along that way, I met this woman, Lois Scott, who's the former CFO of the city of Chicago. And um, she and I have been working for the last two and a half years on putting together a film fund to finance films by female filmmakers under the assumption that uh, all this talk is great, but money is what's actually going to change things. It's true. I mean, it's you can have all of the um, you can have all of the stats and all of the but until you have money and people who are in control um, of, of the budgets and, and the ability to move money in your direction, um, it's it, it's not going to be done. I have to tell you, so Imagine I'm Beautiful was the 12-time award-winning um, film that uh, that she put together, and Bite Me, which I absolutely loved, um, I, I was part <laughs> of the GoFundMe, I think it was, I can't remember what the name of the, the um, oh, what did you? Yeah, Seed and Spark. Seed and Spark. And I love it because yeah. Bite, Bite Me is about the world of, of vampires that still, the underground uh, world of vampires that still exist. And fascinating, your love story with an accountant who has to audit you. With an IRS agent, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> they're, it. They're, they're very, very different films um, from each other. I, I'm so proud of both of them. And Bite Me will come out uh, in 2019. And I'm, I'm so excited to share it with the world. It's really fun and hopeful and um, just we, we've had a couple of test greetings and the energy leaving the theater is just with, with such joy and hope and it makes me very proud to to have evoked that in people and that's I mean what it truly is at the end of the day right you talk about storytelling and everyone that I've talked to who's part of any type of film you're all storytellers and you're trying to evoke yeah. emotion and show them the world through a different lens and one of the things I really appreciated about your TED Talk, which went viral and had over a million views, was you talked about the influence that storytelling has on our emotions, but also on our self-esteem, on girls, and the way they look at themselves and the world. Um, and I, I was hoping that you could go a little bit deeper into that and talk about the life of a storyteller and what it is that you're trying to accomplish, knowing that you have this ability to evoke not only um, emotions, but inner dialogue. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked this question. And this is something that I think we don't really think about enough, which is why do we tell stories, right? Because um, something really remarkable is that it's one of the few things that separates us from animals um, in the sense that as far as we know, no animals tell each other stories. Um, But no human culture has existed anywhere on earth that didn't tell each other stories, whether in the form of myth or religion or, um, you know, MTV, whatever, <laughs> whatever all, it is. Every, every society has always told each other stories. Um, so that, that brings up a really interesting question of why. Um, and I think it's tied to consciousness because as soon as you are conscious, as soon as you, realize that you're alive, it brings up this whole host of really terrifying related questions like, uh, why am I alive? Uh, who am I? What, when am I not going to be alive anymore? What, what, what's going to happen then? Right. Uh, who are you? Right. There's this like terrifying abyss that immediately opens up. And basically stories are the only thing that we've really figured out as a, as a mechanism to sort of explain 
any of those questions to ourselves in a way that allows us to step away from that existential terror long enough to do the other things that we need to do in our lives. Um, So really, stories become actually the framework on which we hang our entire understanding of the world, Mm -hmm. including who we are, uh, what our place is in the wider framework of society, who who, who are the villains, who are the heroes, um, who is important, who is unimportant. So they're incredibly fundamental, and and science backs me up on this. I mean, they've demonstrated that uh, the films that we watch alter our brain chemistry, Mm -hmm. um, our career choices, our hobbies, our marital status, uh, our self-esteem. I mean, just basically everything. Um, So if you consider then that 95% of all of the films that you have ever seen in your lifetime were made by men, and most of those were made by white men, that becomes pretty terrifying. Uh, and so, so basically our entire framework understanding of the world, it has been funneled through the white male gaze so that not only are we looking at each other through the white male gaze, but we're actually looking at ourselves through the white male gaze, even when, when there is no white man present. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big problem. Yes. So as we think about how to continue to move society towards greater equality along all axes, um, we that's not going to happen until we fix the stories we're telling and, and open them up to a, a greater multitude of voices. Um, so, you know, the, the, the people who don't want to do the work of change will say, well, film's just reflecting society back on itself um and we're only just reflecting the problems of society but to that i say if if the question is how do you fix society or how do you fix film well film seems like an easier place to short circuit that that mirror reflection Mm -hmm. um so i think it is of profound importance that we uh break the white male stranglehold on stories it's. I had um, Dr. Caroline Heldman on recently. We were talking about the work that comes mm-hmm. out of Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, and how often we see, um, especially girls more specifically, um, in like you were saying, kind of roles that were passive or where they were not as clothed, and um, how that affects the self-esteem of girls, especially because we know that around eight eight years old is when their self-esteem starts to peak. Um, And after Mm -hmm. that, they kind of see the world themselves as part of the world, as opposed to kind of being cared for um, by the world. Mm -hmm. So it's just so fascinating to me that we've possibly, or we have been, raising generations of, of girls um, through the viewpoint or the, the, the lens, and I like the way you said it, the gaze of the, of the white man, um, because we recognize and we have data to prove that we're just seeing girls with self-esteem issues, not wa- walking into positions of power and taking kind of the softer skill sets. And I just think it's right. so fascinating that we could possibly over time rewire generationally um, the way people view themselves and one another. And some of the most interesting stats to me are when you talk about um, like the Wonder Woman movie 
and how many girls were catalyzed by that film because they get to see sure. a woman in a place of power. And I, I saw on your TED Talk you brought up Brave and the Hunger Games and how archery went up by over 100% female participation in this sport because yeah. they finally saw – in one year. <laughs> and they finally see girls. And, and one of the issues I've had over the years was um, – I wanted to raise a feminist toddler, and my daughter loved Cinderella, and it killed me. Yeah. Because I was so worried that she was going to, you know, this whole one day my prince would come kind of thing, and these were the girls yeah. that were being modeled, and it was before Brave. And then, you know, in one of my talks I share, there was a moment when she was, um, I want to say she was like three or four years old, and she actually was walking out. And um, in my high heels towards the front door. And I was like, hey, where are you going? And she said, Cinderella and I are on our way to New York to close a deal. And so I was like so <laughs> proud of her because I was like, yes, like mom's influence is in there. Because like Cinderella wasn't her aspiration. It was like she was yeah. her business partner, yeah. which I totally <laughs> adored. And I was like, oh, so definitely mom's got something to do with it. Go ahead. Right. And, and who you were raised by obviously matters enormously. But the other side of that is that we are consuming more media than we ever have before and particularly children are mm -hmm. um and so like again until you fix that everything else is going to continue backsliding because because it's it's so integral to our our own thinking absolutely absolutely i think um caroline was telling me she read something that um kids are seeing about 41 hours of screen time a week as of 2013 Oof. i know i said it's like a full-time job that's, that's terrifying yeah it is. It's terrifying. And I, I but, think, yeah. and you lose them, right, at times through the course of their flipping around. And I think my daughter's on an educational game. The next thing I know, she's watching a YouTube video that she shouldn't be watching. Sure. And it's very hard to, to monitor those things. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about this impact fund because I think that that's uh, the venture fund. Are you yeah. Are you looking to assist female filmmakers with their – um, the capital to get started? Are you bringing in investors and screening? What does it look like? Yep. So we're raising a $51 million fund uh, to finance 12 to 15 narrative feature films. So in other words, not documentaries, but fiction films mm -hmm. um, over a three-year period. So uh, some of those films will finance completely um, on the lower end of the, the 1 to 15 million budget ranges. Um, and some of those films will co-finance with other financiers, but um, but the idea is that you know we can demonstrate that women are female filmmakers are less often given real money to make their move films, mm -hmm. um, and film has a unique barrier of entry because you know if you're writing a book, well for the for the cost of a pen and paper you can sit down and you can write your book and then you can go out and get it published, but the and, you know, that may be a barrier of getting it published, but you still made a book, you know, and you can right. demonstrate your talent of writing a book with a pen and a paper. The problem, the barrier with film is that it is outstandingly expensive to get to the point of having a finished film. Um, so women have a, a triply or more difficult time in film because you can't even demonstrate your own talent without the resources to make a film. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to be... Uh, a key part in, in making that possible for them. Um, but the other side of that is that our primary focus is actually just on making returns for our investors because uh, we have data that shows that films by and about women actually have a higher ROI um, per dollar spent than films by men. 
so uh, we are stepping in to pick up some of that money that Hollywood is leaving on the table um, by ignoring those uh, statistics and continuing to make films by and about white men. So, um, so it's it's a it's a rare situation in which we can actually, as a byproduct of making money for our investors, do social good. Um, but you know, a big part of our plan is to demonstrate that these films do have high financial returns. That's and well, it's, this is like one of those things that I absolutely love because um, in my career I started becoming part of the gender lens movement, where we were looking at Fortune 500 companies that have more than two women on their boards, who have better pay mm-hmm. uh, uh, pay equity, um, provide better maternity and paternity policies, and they outperform their peers many times. And it's just so interesting yeah. to me because 51% of the population is women, where 80% of consumer purchases. Of course, we're going to be um, moving money, and I just think, and I love that there's you can you can marry capitalism and social justice if you do it intelligently. And what I'm also noticing is, as more data comes out to support these, I think it it gives people the almost permission to start pursuing it as an investment because it's money controls so much. And so if you can say, look, here are their returns, they're making more of a business decision and it's easier to walk away from some maybe patriarchal belief systems if it's a business decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's also just so much misinformation, particularly in the film industry, about this particular question. Like, again, the number of times that I have been told in my career, films by women don't make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, uh, I get told that I mean, I, I could not count um, because that when executives were raised up in the system, that is what they were told um, based on really outdated data. Right. Um, and and mainly the people in charge just wanting to continue to believe that data because then they got to make the films that they wanted to make and were interested in because they were white men themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So a really important part of this is just getting to say over and over and over again to people that films by and about women make more money because it's true. Right. But uh, but often data actually isn't enough to convince people. And you need you need people to be the pioneers of doing that investment first because it feels so risky to them, even though it actually isn't. Yeah, that's one of the things that we saw with the gender lens movement. It's like everyone was waiting for someone else to prove it right. Um, right. There's there's the the data and the numbers, and you're absolutely right. There's 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 figures and facts, but someone's waiting for someone else to to kind of put their their toe in first. So interesting, and, right. and maybe that's a call to action for whoever's listening. You know, when you have um, the opportunity to support women um, or the ear of a, a powerful man who can help uh, push our cause along, um, something to be aware of. If I may just give a plug for female filmmakers, even if you don't have I mean, if you have a lot of money to invest in films by women, absolutely do that. But even if you have like $10 or $25, um, you can go on this really fabulous crowdfunding platform called Seed and Spark, and you can find films by female filmmakers and donate that money. And it really does help, and it helps them get their first film off the ground. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to, to move to um, the book, The Wrong Kind of Woman, yeah. Dismantling the Gods of Hollywood. And I know this is going to be published by Beacon Press in January 2020. This is a strong title. That's a very strong title. I know. I get excited every time I hear that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, girl, you've got, I mean, like, you, whoever, if you came up with that and you, oh, it's beautiful. Um, 
what tell me about the book and your journey because I you know I'm, I'm f- Facebook friends with you so I get to see when you're doing surveys or you're checking in or you're doing research and you're kind of asking the group same same thing I did when I was writing my book where you kind of put it out to your friends and your contacts like hey how does this feel to you or does anyone know x yeah what's your experience been and have there been any aha moments as you're researching yeah um so the book came about because, as you said, my TED Talk went viral a, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So when the Harvey Weinstein, I'd actually given the TED Talk two falls ago. But then um, one fall ago, when the Weinstein story broke, I got an email from TED.com basically saying, uh, we're putting your TED Talk on our homepage today, tomorrow. Mm. Get ready. Wow. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, And so, you know, like 15,000 people had watched it in the first year, which seemed like an enormous number to me at the time. And then after that day, a million people watched it in three months, um, which was really an enormous number of people. Um, So when something like that happens to you on the Internet, frequently a book agent will write to you and say, hey, would you like to write a book about this subject? Um, Which did happen to me. Mark Gottlieb of Trident. Literary agency wrote to me and and said, you know, I think there's a book in this. Mm-hmm. Would you like to write it? And I said yes. And he, so I uh, I wrote a book proposal and worked with him on it, and then he sold it to to Beacon Press a couple of months later. Um, and I to this wonderful edit editor there, Rakia Clark, who I'm working with. And so then uh, I had less than a year to write this book. Wow. Um, no pressure. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> which has been just the most fun, I have to say. Um, I'm I'm a chapter and a half away from the end, which is good because my deadline's on December 1st. Um, And A, number one, I've I've enjoyed the medium so much because uh, I'm very long-winded, as you might be able to tell, and it's so fun to have a medium where I can just say all of the things. and, a captive uh, audience. But also, it's a captive audience. But also, uh, it's given me a really interesting context in which to investigate this issue, women in film, which I have thought about so obsessively for the last six years. Um, because it, when you write a book, people will give you interviews for that book. Um, and so I've done over 100 interviews for the book. And I it's given me a context to ask people really nosy and difficult and personal questions that they might not really have answered me in another context. Um, so I have learned so much about this topic through writing this book. And I, and I really like, I'm counting down the months until this book comes out and I can share it with everybody else because uh, it's, just really important to look at the whole thing and look at the numbers and sort of weave the personal stories into the the larger narrative. And, and, you know, a lot of the interviews I was doing were just filmmake individual filmmakers or actors. um, Any, any of whose individual stories wouldn't really have meant anything, but by looking at the aggregate and sort of seeing what patterns emerged and really getting to just look at it all, I have learned so much about where the problem is mm-hmm. to go to your aha question. Uh, I have to say that writing this book has, has radicalized my thinking on this subject, which was already pretty radical um, because I, I tried to go into writing the book with an open mind 
as as to where I was going to find the the real problems in terms of like the pipeline and the industry and where are the women getting lost. And I really believed that there would be like three or four key things that I would find that I could say, okay, if we fix X, Y, and Z, this was going to be changed. And at a certain point in the book, I, I decided I was going to write a chapter and actually just list all of those choke points for women in the industry. Um, just write them all down. And I did uh, one heading just like a line heading and then a par- one paragraph for each of these things. And that chapter is 55 pages long. Wow. Um, so I really more than ever actually feel like at a cellular level, this the film industry is built to keep women and people of color out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that nothing short of full scale revolution is really going to crack it open. Uh, which is fine. So, so the end of the book has really become about figuring out, okay, what does that revolution actually look like? Well, and it's re- I remember at the beginning of your TED talk, you said we're going to start with a story and end with a movement, and you've you're you're ending with a revolution, not just a movement. Um, yeah. And I kind of like that we're putting yeah. that in your hands because I I know I've heard you speak on panels. Um, I've, I've watched, you know, the, the trajectory as, um, we've, you know, become friends over the past year and, and seen all of this come together and you, you definitely have a a voice, um, and to be given, what a gift to be given the freedom to ask the hard questions. Um, I think, absolutely. you know, that's just such a beautiful gift because it opens up doors, um, and people are entrusting you with, with their stories. And what a, a beautiful kind of turnaround moment where the storyteller is being entrusted with, with difficult content, you know, that's, that's real and that's yeah. going to revolutionize an industry, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, it, a privilege is the right word, both, you know, the privilege to, to get to write this book in the first place and to write it knowing that it's going to be published, which is a privilege that not a lot of authors get. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, uh, people were very honest with me. And, you know, so in some cases, they asked to be off the record, which was fine for my purposes. And I totally understand because mm-hmm. it was a terrifying, I mean, you can, <laughs> the ways in which you, the numbers of ways in which you get blacklisted in this industry for speaking the truth are really pretty jaw dropping. Um, but, but a lot of people went on the record and it does, it, it, this is going to be, this book is going to be a real brick through the window. Um, because it's not just my voice; it's a, it's a, it's a lot of people's voices and stories. It's a collective. That's amazing. I'm so like, I'm so proud of you and how far. Like, I'm just like you are. I, I believe this wholeheartedly. If you have something that you're passionate about and you speak up and you speak about it, you can change minds and hearts and systems. Yeah. You have to be willing though, to dig your feet in the ground and like use your voice. And thank you for having the courage to do it. Yeah, but I also have to say about that, that I have been terrified so often. And, you know, like, I think that's important to say, because, um, you know, I have stuck to my guns, and I have not let them silence me. And I have continued to bang the drum about it. But like, you know, I, I had serious conversations with myself before agreeing to do that TED talk, and before agreeing to write this book, because, um, you know, there's real risk to those things in terms of my career. And, um, and I think that's important. Like, I think there are things 
there's some great quote, which I'm not going to be able to remember that, uh, that courage is not the absence of fear, but the, but the belief that something is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a really important thing to remember because I've, you know, I've had so many people say to me, well, you're so brave. Like you're, you're just fearless. You just say anything. And I, I'm really not I'm terrified <laughs> a lot of the time. Well, I'm glad but, that you're saying that out loud. I think that that's helpful for yeah. people too, because there are a lot of people who, who stay quiet out of fear and to hear you say that there's a, there's a difference between the courage and the fear. I think that that's, thank you for sharing that. I think that's important yeah. for, for people to hear. What um I want to ask you, and and this is one of the things that I ask everyone, um, if you could share some gold with us, your not your inspiration, your wisdom, nuggets of gold that you'd want to leave um, behind, something that you wish maybe you would have had someone share with you, what would those things be? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that I think the way we think about our dreams or our goals um, is pretty backwards, which is that we, we tend to, as a little kid or even as a grown up, sort of see something off in the distance and say, like, I would like to do that thing. Like, I want to win an Oscar or I want to, um, you know, like be a CEO or I want to whatever. Like, I want that thing off in the distance. And while I think there is merit to that, I also think that that kind of goal chasing very frequently leads to really unhappy people because what tends to happen is that you will put up with, if you are ambitious enough, you will put up with anything on the road to trying to get to that goal. Um, and then frequently you achieve that goal and it ends up feeling pretty empty. Mm. Um, because either you didn't know when you committed to that dream, you didn't actually know what that would mean on a practical daily basis level. Um, and, or it, you realize that you've sacrificed all of this over all of this time for the thing that you thought would feel a certain way that inevitably won't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as I've achieved so many of the things, I mean, that, that, that was the mode in which I was operating for so long. Um, and I think, and, and, and what it meant was that frequently when I got the the things that I and other people around me wanted, um, it left me feeling really sad and alone because the things, they didn't feel that way that they were supposed to feel and ever than the way that everybody else thought I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've, I've really shifted the way I, I think about goals, um, to be much more about like what do you actually want your days to look like? Um, like, what do you want to be spending time doing? What makes you happy on a daily basis when you are doing what? Um, and I, I think if, if you can actually sort of start from there and then reverse engineer out to a goal, I think, because if you can make your days if you can, if you can make your days structured such that you're, the time you're spending is doing the things that make you happy, then that, then like, what else is there actually? Right. <laughs> like, what are we chasing? We're, we so often chase these things that will impress other people, but then you're not happy 
when you get them. Well, I think that's very well said. I mean, a lot of times we have a tendency to have this shiny thing out in the distance, and we think once we get there, we've achieved. But what you find is you're kind of sitting there with the the statue in your hand or the certificate or the whatever it is, and you're like, okay, what next? (laughs) What's – Right. There's no, like – it's not like the sky (laughs) opens and all of a sudden all your your ills and and dreams have come true. You may have left a little bit of a – uh, a battleground from from the in the in the pursuit of yeah and I just I think um I think a lot of this is cultural culturally specific to the U.S. but we put a lot of weight on sort of achievement or like um sort of shiny uh shiny terminuses right like degrees or tight job titles or amounts of money or and I I think it's making a lot of us really unhappy um and and I I have found so much more joy in my life releasing that idea and just and focusing on the around trying to build my days such that I get to spend time doing the things that I am most passionate about that make me the happiest and that make me feel the most fulfilled I think that's beautiful. I I know exactly what you mean. And I think when we're younger, we're told to, you know, pursue our dreams. And then when you get to a certain age in life or a certain stage of life, you realize you want the connectivity and the the more peaceful and soulful relationships as opposed to the the struggle in the in the between. Is there anything else that you would share? Any other any other nuggets? Um I think I think for women particularly we're we're conditioned to to be what other people need us to be a lot, right? Like we're we're taught to smile nicely and mm-hmm. like don't upset anybody and uh you know, be a good girl. <laughs> and uh I think I I definitely spent a lot of my 20s translating that into like trying to mold myself into things that the film industry would pick Mm. right yep um like if I could just be I could just be enough of what they were looking for that they would pick me Mm -hmm. um and in that specific instance what I eventually realized was that it was a really really damaged system uh, that would that would only pick me if I basically erased myself, um, and that again the the most success and the most happiness has come when actually I just stood in the sand and said actually this is who I am, and this is what I have to say. That's, Deal with it. Yeah, no, that's incredibly powerful. That's incredible, incredibly powerful because I think we we do that so often trying to mold ourselves into I I understand that as a writer you know making sure that you're writing content that um, people will want but that doesn't feed your soul um yeah you know I've 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 written pieces for magazines where I'm just like oh this is killing me or I don't absolutely 100% agree with this sentiment but um and you have to get clear as what's actually important to you especially when you're when you're it has to do with your gifts and, and, you know, your creativity. Yeah. Well, I also think it diminishes us, mm-hmm. you know, like it every time. And 
it's death by a thousand cuts, but every time you're in a conversation and you, you shave a little bit of yourself off to, to make the other person feel comfortable or, you know, you don't say what you think in a meeting or you, you try to be a little bit less of yourself to like get picked for this job. It, it, it ends up really, really bleeding you out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I think in this question of how do we as a generation of women become whole enough in ourselves that we can break this cycle of the patriarchy, that's, that's a really important part. Like we have to, we have to, and it's really hard, so hard, but we have, but we have to own ourselves and, and like actually take up the space that we take up in the world. And I, and I mean that physically too, like, um, you know, so much of the, of the, um, of the idea of diminishing ourselves has been taken out of the metaphorical and into the literal in terms of like making ourselves physically as small as possible. Right. Um, and we like, we got to stop that shit. I mean, and it's so hard because everything in society and media and everything is telling us to do it, but we gotta, gotta stop it. Yeah. No. Somewhere, you know? I, I absolutely agree. I like fist in the air. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Cause for me, um, I believe we're raising the next generation of women and women change makers. And so if yeah. we don't start taking up the space and, and keep in mind, there's, you know, there are our grandmothers and great grandmothers. There was progress in, in the Absolutely. world because of their sacrifice and the things that they've done. Um, but I feel like we're at the culmination and, and maybe every generation who has to deal with some type of social or cultural struggle um, or political deals with with that kind of I think you know pressure on your shoulders but for me knowing how powerful the next generation can move our world our success our society our globe I think it's it's on us as women to do the work in order to divorce ourselves of old paradigms of power of old belief systems having to do with our worth and our image and even our gender relationships in home and at work i think we really Absolutely. have to spend the time yeah. understanding our base beliefs and how we've been programmed in order to make sure that the the messaging for our daughters is way more purposeful and and mindful of of their power as well um, I want to thank yeah. you so much. I, I, I've enjoyed this conversation and I think what you're doing is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I, I can't wait for you to throw that brick because I already <laughs> know that it's going to be um, it's it's going to be incredibly powerful. And I'm going to be able to say, I know her. She did that thing. <laughs> and like, oh, right back at you. yeah, well, I mean, I get like I can just imagine what you're going to be able to create. Um, by the work that you're doing, um, not just on, on the screen, um, but for women who are behind the scenes as well. So thank you for who you are and what you're doing and for joining <laughs> me today and sharing your Yeah, goals. well, thank you so much for having me and for all of the light that you're bringing into the world. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love Naomi's passion to change the world of film and how she's attacking it in so many ways. I cannot wait for her brick and to see how her words touch an industry. I love her advice never to shave pieces of yourself off and even when you're terrified, do it anyway. If you want some help moving towards that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. 
I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your own time. Intentional living is where it is at, y'all. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you'd like to get deep in the work with me, pick up my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, now available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.